think the reality is, you know, it's fairly obvious what people are being paid in the market. And it's pretty easy to form sort of a loose salary range of what particular roles in certain sized businesses um, will pay, particularly if, again, you know, it's a good quality recruiter. So if you are intentionally talking yourself up um, from a money point of view, uh, then um, uh, you may miss out on opportunities that otherwise could be excellent. Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organisations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Okay, Brett, well, it's, uh, it's good to be back talking to you again on the Arate Podcast. Uh, and I think we're talking today around the whole idea of headhunting. Indeed, indeed. Thanks for having me back, Richard. Obviously, I... Uh made a reasonable impression last time for you to have me back, so uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, and th- this comes as a question for me, actually, because I've often wondered in the time that we've been working together, we talk a lot about recruitment and, and hunting for work, and, uh, people hunting for work, but I often wonder if someone gets tapped, like if they get a phone call from mm. a recruitment company or, or, or if they're being headhunted, What's the right way for them to respond? I, I imagine that some people go into kind of like a, a strategic mode where they try to play off, play themselves off against yep. the, uh, becomes a game for them, and other people may not even know what to do. So what would your answer to that be? Sure. Uh, well, I think like with all things in life, there are people who are good at headhunting and people who are poor at headhunting. Uh, and... Uh, you know, often the way that the candidate is being engaged, um, you know, is going to. It starts with how how they're being engaged um, uh, from a headhunting point of view. And I suppose, you know, just to step back from that, you know, a little bit. Of course, um, you need to make yourself uh, visible in order to be headhunted. So you know, this is uh, what I talk about a lot in my book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market. You know, particularly LinkedIn now being used as a tool to identify talent to be headhunted. You know, you need to be found, and um, and so without getting into a lot of detail about that now, you know, it's very important for you to have a LinkedIn profile that not only uh, makes you look like a highly desirable candidate, um, but you also need to include a lot of the. Uh, keywords um, that would be searched to find people um, so that um, people are headhunters are being drawn to your profile um, and uh, I don't think many people do that particularly well and in fact uh, I had a client of mine who's a CFO for a, uh, a large global engineering services company and he said to me Richard this headhunting thing it's a load of rubbish I mean I've never been headhunted and so he thought because of the fact that he'd never been headhunted, it meant that, you know, headhunting was a load of rubbish. Uh, but uh, the reality is, you know, he probably was never headhunted because he didn't make himself is obvious. Physical? Fair enough. Um, yeah, and we might talk about that in a, a different podcast about personal brand perhaps. But, um, you know, uh, what we're seeing is a lot of... Um, uh, 
organisations employing internal recruiters, and uh, and so they think headhunting somebody is sending them an email on LinkedIn um, saying, "Hey, we've got a job. Are you interested?" Right? And uh, the reality is that um, you know that's only potentially attracting those people who are proactively looking for a new role. You know, if somebody's got a great job and they're doing well and they're enjoying it and they're busy, the likelihood of them replying to someone like that's very low as compared to receiving a phone call. So, um, you know, when we headhunt somebody, one of our first lines is, and uh, this is taken from Lou Adler, I can't take uh, responsibility for creating this line myself, is we say to the candidate, um, if we can demonstrate this role is better than your current role, are you open to having a talk to us about it? And of course, 95% of people will say yes, because you know why wouldn't they have a talk to us about it? It's quite nice from an egotistical point of view to be headhunted. Um, and if you know somebody's making a claim that it's better than my current job, then you know I should be all ears. But you know, coming back to your question, so um, uh, there is a perception, uh, rightly or wrongly. Uh, in most cases wrongly, that as a candidate, if I'm being headhunted, it's because I'm highly desirable and I have the power. You know, and one of the ways that that's most evidenced is talking about remuneration. So, you know, one of our uh, lines will be, you know, for you to consider a new opportunity, what it would it need to look like financially? And the candidate thinks, oh, they've headhunted me, I'm going to talk my money right up. So um, they might, let's say they say $400,000. And so we will say, well, look, let's say it's a great job. It ticks every box in terms of excellent business, excellent team. It's a role that you're really excited about. There's great career pathing opportunities. Every box is ticked, but it only paid three hundred. dollars Will you still look at it? And 98% of candidates go, yeah, I would. So they didn't really want four hundred. dollars they're happy with 300, but they've talked themselves up to 400 because they think that um, you know they're being headhunted, therefore they have the power. Well, we are a headhunting specialist, so we know how to manage that. But you know, you, let's say that it was a less experienced recruiter calling you, and you say you want 400, but you don't really. They might say, "Oh, look, sorry, Brett, but um, uh, you know your salary expectations are too high, and you miss out on the opportunity." So I think the reality is, you know, it's fairly obvious what people are being paid in the market, and it's pretty easy to form sort of a loose salary range of what particular roles in certain sized businesses um, will pay, particularly if, again, you know, it's a good quality recruiter. So if you are intentionally talking yourself up um, from a money point of view, uh, then um, uh, you may miss out on opportunities that otherwise could be excellent. So that, that, that's one important thing. I think that um, uh, another important thing as a candidate is to really understand the person who's ringing you, you know, and what, number one, what their motivation is, but number two, uh, what authority they have to headhunt you. So for example, um, we've spoken about in uh, our previous um, podcast interview with me, you know, this idea of contingent recruiters, where a contingent recruiter, you know, may be competing against five other recruiters on the same role, 
they're not retained exclusively, the likelihood of them filling the role is very low. So if that recruiter says to you, hey, listen, Brett, you know, I'm currently recruiting this role, um, uh, can I headhunt you for the role? Um, you are potentially opening up a minefield if you are giving that person to present your CV um, uh, for a role that they don't actually have, you know, the true engagement um, on. So, uh, what's another way of saying that? Um, if a recruiter presents your CV to an employer, but they don't actually have the mandate to do that, that employer says, hang on a second, we're recruiting this role ourselves. We didn't actually give that recruiter permission to present CVs. The recruiter has presented a CV on a contingent basis. So the employer may then say, well, God, if we employ Brett, then the recruiter is going to expect to get a fee, even though we didn't actually give the recruiter the mandate to present the CV. All too hard, we'll go and um, we'll pick a different candidate. So it's very important that you explicitly ask the recruiter that's headhunting you, are you retained exclusively to recruit this role? Uh, because if they haven't been retained exclusively to recruit the role, number one, they may not have permission. But number two if, is that if the employer can get you for free, why would they want to pay a recruiter? If you know that an employer has an appetite for your skill set, um, uh, you know, and most recruiters would not like me saying this, but um, you know, you'd need to think about whether you approach them directly yourself, because if they then don't have to pay a recruitment fee, they may be more um, inclined uh, uh, to employ you. So, um, uh, understanding the uh, the level of authority the recruiter's got, and also understanding. Um, you know, what is the actual role that you're being headhunted for? You know, most recruiters, including internal recruiters, have a very limited understanding of what they're actually recruiting. So they may um, headhunt you for a role that you're completely under or overqualified for, or they may present it to you in a way that you're attracted to, but the actual real job is not something you're attracted to at all. And there's all sorts of issues about <clears throat> confidentiality and uh, exclusivity and so on that uh, at the end of the day you know this is your career and this is your future and um, if you are putting yourself in the hands of uh, a recruiter who is either not competent or in fact unethical um, you know that can seriously compromise you. Uh, for example, a recruiter is not allowed to present a candidate to an employer unless they have explicit written permission from the candidate, and yet recruiters breach that all the time. So right. you might find that your CV is being presented to employers and you don't even know. Wow. Um, and, you know, uh, um, that's not a good look. No. Um, so, yeah, I would say uh, be wary, but at the same time, don't be close to opportunity. Even if you are in a role and you know you're enjoying it and you've been well paid and so on, that person calling you to headhunt you may have an amazing opportunity. And if you shut that conversation down straight away, thanks, I'm not looking, or you know, um, 
uh, a bit like when you walk into a shop and you know the shop assistant says, "Can I help you?" You say, "No, I'm just looking." You know, if you get a, uh, a call from a recruiter um, and you immediately just you know don't engage in the conversation, who's to know you know what you may have missed out on? Right. So let, let's say I get a call from you or another recruiter, and you're recruiting for a competitor of the organisation I'm with now. Yeah. How do I protect myself so that uh, word doesn't get back to my employer that I'm actually looking elsewhere? Yeah. Just because if I miss out on that job, I don't want my boss to know that I, I was considering other possibilities. Yeah. How do I protect myself? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I suppose you can never protect yourself 100%. Okay. Um, I think that you know most uh, uh, professional people will be able to form, get some kind of intuitive sense as to whether the person calling them, you know, is is legitimate or not. Uh, but you can certainly say to that recruiter, under no conditions are you to present to anybody without my uh, present me to any employer without my explicit permission, uh, and they should honour that. Um, and you know, I would certainly not be um, uh, authorising a recruiter to present you for a role um, until you've been, you know, thoroughly briefed um, uh, about the role, including who the employer is. I mean, you have situations. I mean, we do this ourselves, where we'll headhunt for a role, and we'll say, look, we've got an opportunity. We can't tell you who the employer is at this stage. Um, this is the nature of the role. Are you interested in learning more about it? Um, but we will not present somebody's CV to the employer until the candidate um, has been told who the employer is, because um, you know, it's, otherwise, it's a breach of the Privacy Act. Uh, most uh, professional recruiters. Uh, are dealing with candidates where there is a high degree of confidentiality all the time. Similarly, most employers understand that you know if a candidate is engaging in a process, they need to maintain confidentiality. But there are situations that the recruiter can, just simply can't control, you know, um, uh, and word can get out. Uh, what do they say? Loose lips sink ships. Um, you, I suppose, at, at some point, you just have to, you know, trust and hope that uh, your confidentiality is maintained. But other than saying to the recruiter, um, uh, you know, these are the rules of my engagement. You can't promote me or present me to any employer without my specific um, approval. Um, there's not a lot more that you can do. Right, okay. So just back to the question of price, if, again, if I'm <coughs> the, the, a potential candidate, is it in my interest to to wait for you to fire the opening shot, in inverted commas, in terms of salary? Yeah, in terms right. of salary and package? Yeah. Or do I put my my high-end yeah. desires on the table first? Like, right. How does that play out? What's yeah, the, look, I talk point? a bit about this in my book, you know, um, uh, one of the benefits of dealing with a third-party recruiter rather than directly with the employer is that you can have a more forthright conversation about money without potentially, you know, insulting people or mm-hmm. uh, or blowing up the um, the negotiation. Uh, I certainly think that uh, if you, if it is at the point of initially being headhunted, you know, it's important to understand, you know, 
where are they positioning the role? Because if you're on 400 and they're talking about a role that's 250 and you have no appetite for a role at 250, there's no point in going through a whole process only to get to the end and go, oh crap, you know, the money's nowhere near where I needed it to be. So, you know, in that initial conversation, um, if somebody was headhunting me and they said, look, we've got this role and are you interested, what would the money need to look like? Um, you know, I would encourage people to say, well, it needs to look like this, but not to artificially inflate um, where they are. Now, whether you choose to be really um, uh, open about your current salary is entirely up to you as a candidate. Um, it certainly makes the recruiter's life easier for you to be open about it, however you may choose not to. Um, but I think it's important to get some sense of the money at the beginning of the process to make sure that there is some alignment. But if you're talking about when you get to the actual point of negotiating for the role, my view is he who puts the money down first loses. You know, um, uh, if an employer says to you, what do you need, what do you want, and you say 200, and they say, well, we really could only budget 150, then there's no way you can negotiate above 200. The reality is you probably won't even get 200. You know, you're going to meet somewhere between 150 and 200. Whereas if the employer puts the money down first, if the employer says, what do you need? And you say, well, look, I expect to be paid fairly. What are you offering? And they say 200, then you can say, well, actually, I was expecting it to probably be at 250. And then there's going to be negotiation that might end up at 225. Yeah. So um, uh, the rec it's in the recruiter's interest to get a successful placement because that's how they're paid. Um, a lot of recruiters, their fees are a percentage of salary. So the employer can think, well, the recruiter is artificially in, um, inflating the candidate's expectations because 20% of 175 is less mm. than 25% of 225. Mm. But, you know, again, you know, working at my level, um, uh, we would, you know, the difference in terms of a fee is not particularly substantial. And the last thing we want to do is to tank a deal because we, you know, try to be silly about it. Um, uh, so, um, again, if you're working with a reputable recruiter, you know, they will handle that negotiation process. To give you an example, um, I'll give you two examples, a successful one and an unsuccessful one. Successful one, um, I've just been recruiting the national marketing manager for a, um, a very established residential home builder. Uh, the candidate um, uh, said at the beginning of the process they had a certain salary expectation. But then when they went through the process and they started to get a sense of the, you know, the expectations of the role uh, and probably a sense that they were becoming the preferred candidate, uh, they then, um, when it came to the negotiation, they asked for more money. Now, it wasn't a lot of more money. It was only $10,000. Uh, but the client had an expectation it would be X and then the candidate said it will actually be X plus 10 grand. So I said to the candidate, are you prepared to lose the job by asking for that extra $10,000? And the candidate said, no. 
and I said to the employer, are you prepared to lose the candidate, <laughs> you know, by not paying the $10,000? And the employer said no. So what ended up happening is we agreed that they would start on the lower, but at the completion of their six-month probation, assuming that they were still in the role, it would automatically go to the higher. So the candidate was getting what they wanted, but it would be delayed by six months and based on performance. Um, uh, so that's how we got to mm -hmm. a successful outcome there. And, and again, as a recruiter, you know, uh, a skilled recruiter, you learn how to, um, you know, massage these negotiations. As I say to, you know, candidates I'm talking to, look, I've done this for 17 years. Um, I always find that if the employer loves the candidate and the candidate loves the employer, the money always looks after right. itself. Yeah, an unsuccessful one, this was a few years ago, uh, we had a guy who was on 250 in the mining industry. Uh, we got him an offer and the offer was 350 So he accepted it, $100,000 pay rise. Mm. He went back to his employer and they said, we want you to stay, we'll pay you 450 so he had a $200,000 pay rise in one day. Wow. <laughs> and uh, uh, the prospective employer said, well, look, there's no way we can compete with that. And I had to say to the candidate, look, mate, if I was in your shoes, I'd take the 450. Right. So, uh, you know, it doesn't always end well, um, but, uh, but most of the time it does. Well, I guess it did end well because he got, he got a raise and someone else got... Well, job. true. So, you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and in some respects, that's why I won't work contingently. Yeah. Because if my entire fee is dependent on that, and then at the end, you know, the very last minute, either party has a change of heart, yeah. um, I don't get paid anything. You know, why on earth would I want to do that? So yeah. by working on a retainer basis, it means that uh, I know that I'm going to get paid. Um, yeah. uh, and in fact, a proportion, if not all of my fees, have been paid in advance. So yeah. uh, I'm prepared to persevere through that situation yeah. and uh, you know as you say find the next candidate who will take the job right yeah very good mm. well that, that was very insightful and i'm sure some of the uh, some of the listeners who are who are waiting for a tap on the shoulders waiting for that phone call uh, might have pondered what they would do so i'm sure that would be useful for them good thanks richard okay thanks brett Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. If you'd like to accelerate your executive career journey, Richard invites you to join his CEO Incubator community on LinkedIn. Just search for CEO Incubator in LinkedIn groups and click on the Ask to Join button to apply. We'll see you in the community. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.